Innovation in healthcare is arguably one of the most important topics of our time. We all care about our healthcare, and without innovation, we stand still. This is a great time for innovation in healthcare. I'm Michael Kriegsman. I'm an industry analyst and the host of CXO Talk. And today on episode number 285, we are speaking with one of the world's top healthcare innovators. Before we begin, I want to say a thank you to Livestream. They support us and support CXO Talk. They provide our live streaming video infrastructure. And if you go to livestream.com slash CXO Talk, they will even give you a discount on their plans. Now, I want you to please, right this moment, tell a friend. Tell a friend to watch and be sure you subscribe on YouTube. This is important, subscribe on YouTube. Without further ado, I'm so excited and honored to introduce Dr. Rasu Sharesta, who is the Chief Innovation Officer at the University of Pittsburgh Medical Center. Rasu, how are you? And thank you for our being here. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you for having me, Michael. Um, I'm doing great. Uh, you know, this is the, what, the Friday the 13th special episode, I guess. So it's a, it's a pleasure to be here. And, and thank you for having me as a guest. Well, thank you. So please tell us about your work. You're the chief innovation officer, and you're also responsible for the University of Pittsburgh Medical Center Enterprises. And so tell us about the things that you're, that you're doing. Yeah, so uh, I'm, all but um, part of a larger team that really makes the magic happen at UPMC. Uh, UPMC is a large payer provider organization. Um, we're 80,000 employees, you know, $20 billion in annual revenue. So we're a large organization. But my role, really, you can condense it down to I'm a bridge builder. Right? So what I do is build bridges. Um, I work with the team that I have across UPMC to build bridges between you know, healthcare as we've known it in the past to healthcare as it needs to be, uh, bridges between the science and the medicine and the discipline of uh, really pushing healthcare forward to entrepreneurship, to creating companies, to making commercial successes of innovations that we know have to be sticky. Uh, and, and, and bridges between computer systems, zeros and ones, AI algorithms, and, and human beings, patients, clinicians, um, just human beings that need to be utilizing these solutions at the back end. So in a nutshell, you know, call me a bridge builder. Okay, so you're a bridge builder among these various groups and technologies and data. But give us, give us a maybe drill down and tell us. So you're building these bridges, and what is the goal? What is the end goal of of these this bridge making that you've described? One of the things that we look at uh, with the lens of here at UPMC is, you know, how do we continue to challenge the status quo and get healthcare from where it is to where it needs to be? Right, we're a we're a large dynamic system that continues to really push the envelope forward in terms of value-based care. And, you know, there's a lot of buzz around value-based healthcare models and, and, uh, and, and really moving away from fee-for-service to fee-for-value. What's interesting is, um, you know, as a payer and a provider system, as an integrated delivery financial system even, 
Um, we're not just talking about this. We're living and breathing it on a day-in, day-out basis. We're focused, and this is where the innovations naturally tend to focus themselves as well. We as a system are focused on pushing excellence forward in medicine and science, bringing technology to aid in that pursuit, but marrying that with a strong business acumen, a keen entrepreneurial zeal and enthusiasm to not just create innovations and adopt innovations that are cool, but to um, create innovations and think outside the box and, and, and implement these solutions that will be sticky, that'll make a difference, that'll move the needle in remarkable transformational ways. So our goals really, Michael, are several folds, right? So our goals are to you know, move that needle forward, improve patient outcomes, improve patient satisfaction, all of the things that a lot of health systems obviously are very incentivized to do. But our goals also are to really innovate, create products, solutions, companies that we would implement these technologies here at UPMC that we call the living lab. And we would then commercialize with our partners. We would take out to market and we would scale these solutions to impact healthcare at a much broader level. So why this emphasis on building companies and business? What, what about healthcare and what about your mandate leads to this? So that's a really interesting question, Michael. And I, you know, I, I dig back to um, why I even started this in the first place. Right? Um, I'm a physician by background. I'm a radiologist by training, and and I, you know, went through med school, went through all of my training, and 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 then did an informatics training as well. And 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 you know, as I pursued, you know, leveraging the power of data and informatics to better the care experience, to create solutions that would actually make a difference in the lives of physicians and patients, the bug really bit me, right? And one thing that I learned early on, and this was, I'd say, almost 20 years ago, is it's one thing to innovate, right? It's another thing to make those innovations sticky, to have a level of cultural change that's really required to scale these innovations and to make sure that they're able to get the level of impact that we know a lot of these great ideas and great innovations can actually bring to fruition. For, so for in order for you to do that, you know, yes, you got to create the right product. You have to maybe have the right set of services. You have to have the right teams. There are lots of components to that. But you also have to, in many ways, make sure that you're building it in a way that it's sustainable over time, which oftentimes does translate to business success, commercial success. And, uh, and, and that really is sort of the mantra that we have here at UPMC and at UPMC Enterprises, which is our innovation and entrepreneurship arm is to make sure that we're able to really hone in on these unmet clinical and operational needs and create successes that we would implement here at UPMC, but where we would also take these successes and scale them um, at, at, at a level um, that uh, others across the industry would also be able to enjoy some of the successes that we've been able to push forward at our institution. So business building then is a core part of what you're doing. Yes, yes, absolutely. It is. Um, I, I like to say that we, we put our money where our mouth is, right? So if we say, yeah, we're going to move from volume to value, 
value-based healthcare is important. Here's how we're pushing things forward, not just in the newer care models that we're uh, creating at UPMC, the pathways that we're weaving into place and implementing across the care delivery institution that is um, our, our hospitals and our, our long-term care facilities, our senior care facilities, but also as a payer provider system, looking at the business models, the revenue models, the financial models behind this. And with, 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 a, with a level of entrepreneurial focus to this to say, all right, but how do we make this sticky? How do we really scale this? And how do we perhaps synthesize some of these um, algorithmic imperatives into more of a business imperative, create companies and products and solutions that, again, we can really take out there? Well, why is this so uh, so? important, especially in healthcare, because you're talking about business, yet it's also at the same time very clear to me that your ultimate goal is patient outcomes. Absolutely. So what, what I'm looking at uh, with the team at UPMC is really the perfect intersection between um, the imperative that we have to better patient outcomes, to better patient experience, to perhaps even redefine the very notion of what healthcare is really all about and refocus healthcare from it being just about surviving to it really being about thriving, right? We are trying to redefine what healthcare is all about. But while doing that, in order for us to make it sticky, in order for us to scale it, in order for us to make sure that this is not just a once and done we, we need to make sure that we're able to do this in, in a way that it actually can um, scale, right? So the, the business success side of this is, is really important. The other, the other facet to this, Michael, really is also in terms of um, making sure that the innovations that we're creating aren't just UPMC-centric, right? Um, so as healthcare organizations, and, and there are many of my peers across the industry who, who know exactly what I'm talking about, because when you're part of a healthcare institution and you're creating solutions that, you know, you're trying to fit into the, the intricate workflows, the complexities of your specific environment, you very often run into um, the, uh, the slippery slope of, you know, coding it, codifying it to such a specific level that it only works in your institution. And the way that we've been approaching innovation is to say, all right, you know, let's let's really look at this not just for uh, our institution, but really it, it with with a mindset to uh, make sure that it's able to interface with multiple different clinical information systems in a in a manner that where you could you could have multi tenancy, you could scale it, you could really take it to the next level and uh, and enjoy a, a level of outreach that you would otherwise not have been able to. Um, had you been uh, sort of custom coding it to your specific environment. I want to remind everybody that we are speaking with Dr. Rasu Sharesta. And right now there is a tweet chat taking place and you can ask questions and share your thoughts and comments using the hashtag CXOTalk. Rasu, what makes this particularly difficult or challenging in the healthcare environment as opposed to in other fields? Why is healthcare, why is innovation in healthcare so particularly difficult? 
Yeah, it's um, not just so particularly difficult, but it's also so particularly important, right? Um, I, I believe there is nothing more personal, nothing more humane than really the pursuit of excellence in healthcare. And, and perhaps because it is so personal, it's not just work, you know, it's not just something that you're tasked with doing. It's personal to you, to me, to everyone that's listening in on, on, on this today. Um, it's, you know, it's about their lives, it's about their loved ones, it's about the people that they care for. And because it is so personal, I think we've made it so darn complex. And because we've made it so darn complex, it is so much more difficult to really innovate and take it to where it really needs to be, right? Complexity is the bane of our existence in healthcare. It really is. I mean, you look at the billing codes, you look at the complexity of the, of the interfaces that we have at the back end, you look at the complexities of the workflows that we've managed to hash out over the last many decades, you look at the complexities of the interfaces that we've been rolling out um, in terms of these clinical information systems, even in the last two decades and more, complexity is the bane of our existence in healthcare. But we also believe, and this is where UPMC Enterprises comes in, if complexity is the bane of our existence, then really design thinking is perhaps the cure. So we're trying to put on you know, a design thinking hat and uh, uh, the mindset of really innovating um, despite and in spite of those complexities, but really trying to take the approach of moving away from the complexities and simplifying healthcare right? Really trying to say, all right, look, it's not about adding bells and whistles. It's not about adding, you know, tabs and buttons and features. It's about taking things away, making it as simple as possible, making it so darn simple that it just becomes so intuitive that you, at the end of the day, are able to then just focus at the tasks at hand. And that's what healthcare and healthcare innovation should really be about. So moving away from sort of the the, the, the reality of complexity that we're inundated with today to where it needs to be, which is really focusing in on the most humanistic aspects of what it means to, um, to speak to a patient, to make sure that there is a level of communication that happens between the provider and the patient, that there is a level of understanding and empathy that speaks to what that patient and the consumer really wants, that healthcare then really becomes about not just um, you know, uh, taking a pill and hoping you get better, but when you're discharged from a hospital that you're doing all of the right things so that you never um, hopefully ever have to go back to that hospital ever again, that that becomes the new business imperative, that that becomes the new reality of the future of healthcare. And how does what you're doing, the innovation, lead to that? So, so if I may voice a, a skeptical perspective in healthcare, how is what you're describing even possible? And how does innovation lead us there? So that's a great question. And, and, and therein lies sort of the approach that we're trying to put in place here at UPMC. We're very cognizant of the fact that um, in everything that I just described to you, the, pa the painting that I just uh, put in front of you is a complex one. Right, and it's it's dynamic. Um, the, the there are many things that are changing in real time right now, um, but at the same time, the approach that we've tried to craft here at UPMC and through UPMC Enterprises is one that 
we believe really puts us in a position of strength and gives us perhaps an unfair advantage to capitalize in on who we are at UPMC and where we are uh, in this day and, 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 and time in our industry. So let me elaborate a little bit further. For us at UPMC, we really see innovation as a strategic imperative. It's not you know, just this thing that we're doing on the side and, you know, let's play around with this for a while. And if it works, great. And if not, then we've got our core business to really focus in on. This is where we're putting in all of our chips as a system across the board and saying, look, we are um, really focusing on this as the future of UPMC. And the way that we've done this at UPMC Enterprises is we have a you know, I call it a servant leadership sort of a model where there's the provider organization, the health services group, there's the payer organization, our UPMC health plan, and then there's UPMC International. And then the fourth entity, that's UPMC Enterprises, works on behalf of and with the rest of the living lab, that's UPMC. So what we've done at UPMC Enterprises is really, and I, and I think this is really the way to approach this, at least in an organization like ours, is we've created a safe space, a safe space for us to ask those hard questions, a safe space for us to perhaps make those mistakes that you know need to be made, not just will be made, but need to be made in the pursuit of excellence in healthcare, and a safe space for us to have a level of undue focus on those pain points that I, that I was referring to earlier, those clinical and operational pain points, and, and bring in you know, the discipline that's required around design thinking, around agile development methodologies, around a culture of fail fast, and an appetite to, as I mentioned earlier, put our money where our mouth is. And it's because of the tight levels of alignment that we have across our organization and the tentacles that we're building to further capitalize on the, uh, the outreach efforts and the excellence that exists within the region here um, and, and, and nationally as well with sort of the entrepreneurial startup community and, and others within the healthcare industry that are as motivated as we are or share the same level of urgency and have the shared sense of, of vision and passion as we do to together go at this journey and create these innovations that are, that are sticky and scalable. How extraordinary uh, uh, that a major medical center has not is not only paying lip service to this idea of innovation, but in a very meaningful and tangible way has staked its future on this commitment to, to because I, I, I speak with many executives from senior execs from different organizations, and quite frankly, sometimes, you know, they're doing innovation because it sounds nice, but really it's business as usual. Uh, we have some questions from Twitter, and let's begin with uh, John Nosta, who's a guest on, who's been on this show, and I know you know John Nosta, somebody who we re respect a great deal, and he asks, who is harder to change, the doctor or the patient? Uh, that's, a very, that's a very John Nosta question. Uh, I love it. Um, so at the end of the day, we're uh, and I when I say we, both the both the physician um, as well as the patient, we're both human beings, and human beings, John, uh, as you know, have this uh, this level of inertia, uh, you know, where if if things are working, let's do more of it, and and from that perspective, I think it's it's difficult to change for both 
the physician in their own own light. You know, they've gone through years of training and uh, and and they're you know at a place where they have a specific set of set of mandates that that we've put in front of them. So it's very difficult for them to change. At the same time, patients, right? Patients have uh, a, a mindset that um, that they've been, I, I guess, um, they've grown to uh, to expect, right? So so I think. The, the, the real answer to this is it's difficult to change for both of them. But let me turn this around and really um, get to where our head is, right? I, I believe, John, that where the industry is right now, and I'm not just talking about the last 20, 30 years that we've been rolling out health IT solutions, but really for centuries, centuries at a time, the healthcare industry and this speaks specifically to the question you're asking in terms of change and you know the doctor and the patient, the healthcare industry has really been very paternalistic, right? It's been about paternalistic care. We need to move away from what we've known healthcare to be, which is one where we're pushing paternalistic care forward to one where we really put push participatory care forward. So from paternalistic care, it needs to move to more of a participatory care approach. And that really is the new reality. And and when we approach healthcare with the lens of more of a participatory care, an intelligent participatory care approach, then what we do is we suddenly incentivize and make it easier for both the physician as well as for the patient slash consumer to really not just want to change, but have to change. And, and, and therein lies the difference. I think today, you know, because of the complexities that we just talked about earlier, because of the constraints that we've built around the systems that, we, that define healthcare today, around the technologies and the, and the IT solutions that really shackle us to, uh, to the realities of the workflows that we're constrained to today, we continue to march down this path of a very paternalistic approach to care. But if we're able to really turn it on its head and innovate and think about these newer care models, think about these newer business imperatives, think about the newer definitions of what healthcare should really be about, then this newer paradigm of an intelligent participatory care model actually makes a lot of sense. Long-winded answer, but I think John deserved it. Thanks, John. Okay, uh, great answer. So, so this notion of moving from a paternalistic approach to healthcare to a participatory approach. I want I want to get to some more questions, but that I, I have to say that begs an entire discussion again of how do you how do you drive that kind of change in a meaningful way given the the profoundly deep fabric of paternalistic attitudes. Actually, let me ask you that. How how do you, how do you do it? How do you even begin to accomplish that? So that's a great question, and it's really where our head is at UPMC Enterprises in, in one of our focus areas, which is really looking at um, consumerization of healthcare and, and marrying that with the realities of what's happening in terms of uh, clinical care and population health, right? So one of the things that we truly believe in, and you're seeing this really across the board in the industry today, is you know consumers, uh, and they could be patients, are leaning in in a way that they've never leaned in before. They're more engaged, they're more incentivized to take charge of the wallet that they're now suddenly tasked with uh, in terms of their healthcare spend. They're they're going to see Dr. Google before they come in and see a Dr. Shrestha. Um, 
they're really concerned about the specifics of not just their treatment options, but their outcomes and their quality of life. So there's a level of leaning in participation, if you can call it that, that you haven't seen in the past. At the same time, what you have are capabilities from a technology perspective, and we're struggling with some of these components, but there are capabilities that would allow for consumers and patients and clinicians not just to participate um, passively, but really actively in the care processes, right? So how do we empower uh, patients to better take charge of their data, not just give them data, right? Free the data, give patients access to the data. Yeah, that's really important, but it's not just about giving them access to the data. It's also empowering them, giving them the right set of tools and capabilities to make sure that they're able to participate in the intelligent shared decision-making that needs to happen around what's most important to them and to their loved ones. So you're seeing that shift happen. What we need to do is to really catalyze that shift with the innovations that we're creating and then add to that the specific business models that would really make this sticky and make this the new reality of what healthcare needs to look like. So changes across various key points ranging from economics to culture through the entire ecology ecosystem of healthcare, essentially, is what you're saying. Correct. So we have some more questions from Twitter. And Pablo Pinto is asking, uh, is it possible to solve the lack of electronic medical record portability? How can technology and the industry empower and let users and patients have more control over their own data? So that's, um, that's a really, really good question. And um, so, you know, my answer is yes, it is possible. Um, the, the reality is we've been struggling with this for a while here in healthcare. And, uh, and we're still at a point where, you know, it's much easier for me when I travel to, you know, stick in my, uh, my bank card uh, at any ATM uh, and take out money in the local currency from my account here in Pittsburgh than it is for me to, you know, get my health data uh, moving in a way that would perhaps help save my life or, or the patient's life that's in front of me. So, so we're, we still have a lot of struggles. We still have a lot of challenges at hand. But the reality is that's the imperative. That is what needs to be done, right? Uh, when we talk about the struggles of interoperability and where we've been in the last decade and a half in this journey of interoperability in, in healthcare, we've really been just focused in uh, on the specifics of interoperability around the electronic medical record systems. And, and that's important. And there's much work yet that needs to be done. And we're seeing some remarkable advancements being made um, with uh, the opening up of these um, these capabilities at the back end with the Argonaut project uh, leading the charge around uh, HL7 Fire and creating you know capabilities for us to have specific data points and access points to data elements that in ways that we just hadn't had access in, in the past. So there's some progress that's being made, but what we really need to do to make that actually uh, a reality is for us to scale this, for us to open things up in a way that we just haven't been able to open up in the past, for us not just to pay lip service, and I'm not 
looking at any one vendor. I'm looking at the industry as a, as a whole when I, when I address this challenge that we have. We shouldn't just pay lip service and say, yep, we've checked the box, we're doing fire or we're doing interoperability. It's not about that. It's about looking at not just you know, a handful of specific, uh, say, fire-based resources that need to be opened up, but you know, the entirety of what is actually required to enable a smoother, say, care transaction to happen, to enable a specific set of workflows around, say, telestroke or around, you know, transitions of care. And, and when we look at those spe specific set of requirements and we say, hey, look, it's not just, you know, uh, read-only type capabilities that we need opened up. It's also perhaps write-back capabilities. We need more of a bi-directional, you know, more fluid sort of an, uh, interfaces, a set of interfaces that need to be put in place. And when we try to specify what those uh, what those um, needs and imperatives are, then we start making progress. We start going from this hand waving vagueness that we seem to be stuck in today of hey, we got to open up. Uh, hey, let's do interoperability. Let's get interoperability right to the specifics of here's exactly what we need. The customers are actually demanding this. Here are the specific set of clinical and business imperatives that um, are equated directly to these specific set of asks. That's when the industry starts coming together to really make that uh, the data liberation challenge that we have in front of us a reality. And we have a couple of questions from Twitter that are related to this. And uh, Zachary Jeans and Arsalan Khan are asking, how do we spark new thinking among physicians? And at the same time, how do we get physicians to think about technology beyond just being a user, but actually harness that technology? And I'll even use, I'll even inject, what about uh, data? Get physicians to be thinking about the role of data. Um, so I, I vehemently believe that data science needs to be a new specialty in medical school, right? I, I think it's in, in this day and age, we're talking about 2018, you know, tw we've, you know, 2020 is like literally less than two years away. Um, it is so important for us to have data science uh, ingrained in, in, the, in, in the practice of uh, how we're actually pushing healthcare forward. So physicians and, and nurses and, and other care providers really need to be bought into this, pharmacists and others included. How do you do this? That's the big challenge, right? Today, um, physicians, unfortunately, are an afterthought when it comes to health IT rollouts. And I say this because I've, I've seen this happen in front of me, right? Where, you know, with, with, uh, with the right intent in mind, with the right intentions in mind, you're, you're, um, you know, you have um, an RFP process, you go out and you say, all right, you know, here's the best in class products around say a clinical information system, an EMR or a PAC system. And you, you know, do all of the due diligence to decide perhaps the, the last, the sort of the finalist and you go and sign the contract. And when you're about to go live with that solution, you say, hey, let's bring in our physicians let's have a go live event let's put in some training let's buy them pizza let's uh, let's you know and create cheat sheets and that's not the time to engage physicians that is way too late in the cycle to engage end users and the approach that we're taking at UPMC and at UPMC enterprises really is 
where we engage end users first, right? Before we've even written a single line of code, we're sitting down with physicians, we're sitting down with patients, we're sitting down with nurses, and we're whiteboarding and we're brainstorming and we're talking about not what solution they want created, but what their pain points really are, right? The, the notion of design thinking mandates that you really start first with empathy and you put yourself in their shoes and you sit down with them in their environment, not in a sterile, you know, fancy room, you know, somewhere else in Silicon Valley or in, you know, but really in the hospitals, in the trenches where, you know, they're seeing those pain points being um, uh, experienced day in, day out. So you sit down with them, put yourself in their shoes and really empathize with them, but get them involved in the care processes, get, train them to really understand why it is um, that you're actually pushing for these data elements to be connected together, why it is and how it is that you're actually creating these solutions. But get their insights, get their buy-in. And there's, not, there's no other better way to get the buy-in of physicians than to really engage them early on, but to have them be part of the process. Physicians in general are very bright people and they're very inquisitive and they want to do what's in the best interest of patients. There's just, there's no doubt about that. Right. Um, but they're constrained. They're, they're handcuffed with the solutions that we've given to them with the set of mandates that we've put in front of them. But if you, if you open up that, those, those set of handcuffs and say, Hey, look, you can be part of the solution, right? Let's, let's create a, a blank canvas. Let's, pull you in and, and really sit down and talk about um, the pain points that you currently have. And then we'll talk about the solutions, the technologies, the approaches that we need to put in place, engaging them right from the onset and keeping them engaged in, in, in the process of innovation. That's the way to really make sure that mind, uh, mind shift changes actually happen at the physician level. Okay. I'm continuing to jump into Twitter because I love answering questions on Twitter. And I want to remind everybody, we are speaking with Dr. Rasu Sharesta. And at this moment, there's a tweet chat taking place using the hashtag CXO talk. And so please ask your questions. We have a really good comment from Jared Jeffrey. And, and I want to address this one because it's sort of fundamental to this. And he asks, what are the game-changer innovations, the major game-changing innovations in healthcare today? Is it AI? Is it blockchain? Is it other things that we may not be aware of? So where's, where's the focus of innovation today? So, Jared, great question. Thank you for that. Um, so the, the, the problem with healthcare today is, um, and, and not just healthcare, but really the reality of the, the age that we live in today is that there's just so much hype. There's a lot of, uh, you know, hype around AI and smart dust and blockchain. And it's less about the technology. It's more about what the technology can really do to, in, in our case, better the pursuit of healthcare. Right. So is AI um, important? Absolutely, it's important. You know, we've, you know, AI has been around, however, for a long time. The set of capabilities to make AI um, sticky and scalable, which is sort of the mantra that I've been harping on now for the last, uh, for, you know, for, for, the, for the duration of this talk is, 
it's more real today than it's ever been before, right? So is is AI an example of um, an innovation that would really, uh, you know, be important for, for us in healthcare? It absolutely is. Less because of the buzz surrounding AI or blockchain or smart dust or, or, or augmented reality or anything else, but more because of how we can actually use that technology to affect change, how we can use technology to really affect uh, behavior, and how we can actually move the needle in the way that we're pushing care forward. So let me give you an example, right? So yes, AI tends to be a buzzword, and you know, there's this notion of, hey, run for the hills, the machines are coming, right? Um, but AI used well could really help in augmenting the care that we're providing to our patients. So around clinical decision support, for example, right? As a clinician, uh, we're able to maybe synthesize, you know, a couple of streams of data, 10, 12, you know, two, uh, 15 streams of data at any given point in time, let's say, right? But computers, algorithms can synthesize and, and, and compute uh, thousands, hundreds of thousands, perhaps millions of streams at a given point in time. And if, if we're able to use the power, the computational power of these AI algorithms to really look at vast troves of data, connect you know, these silos of databases in a way that they've just not been able to have been connected before and give us the insights uh, that we could then use to make decisions as as physicians and as human beings to connect with the patient that's sitting in front of me and to contextualize it to the specifics of what may or may not work precisely for that patient or that consumer that's sitting in front of me. Therein lies the, the perfect intersection of technology and use case, right? So is AI sort of the next big innovation? I'd say no, it's not. It's what you can build out of AI, the things that you can build atop of AI and blockchain and, and augmented reality. It's those things that really are the, uh, the innovations that we should be focusing in on. So applications using tools and, and techniques and approaches like AI or blockchain, for example, and then applying them, making them domain specific and, and useful in, in, in a practical and meaningful way. That's exactly right, Michael. And and you know, put it another way, um, you know, I'm I'm a I'm a big believer of look, innovation if done right makes technology invisible. So, you know, our focus shouldn't really be the technology. Yes, as technologists, that's where we gravitate towards. And absolutely, we need to make sure that we have the right database, the architecture, the the right set of technological bells and whistles, but the focus in terms of how we actually push these innovations forward and make them sticky should really be on those use cases, should really be on the specifics of how we actually do uh, what we need to be doing, whether it's around um, you know, medication adherence or whether it's around clinical decision support or, or in my case, reading a, a, a study as a, as a radiologist. Thank you for the shout out to Enterprise Architecture because we had a comment from Arsalan Khan specifically on that point. We have another really interesting question and an important one from E.K. Obion. And uh, E.K. asks, is there a standard framework for innovation that UPMC uses? How do you 
manage the financial implications of innovation, given the fact that innovation by, I'm interpreting this person's question, that innovation by definition involves an investment today with a potential future outcome, which may distract or divert resources away from the immediate needs and pressing needs today? How do you balance the long and the short term? Yeah, so uh, great question. Uh, and there are essentially two questions to this, and I'll, I'll try to be uh, short in my answer. Um, there is no one-size-fits-all approach to innovation, right? So is there a way, is there a specific blueprint in which, in, in how we're innovating at UPMC? There absolutely is, right? Uh, engage with us online, you know, we're, uh, we're, we're, uh, we're online all the time, uh, hashtag UPMC innovates, um, you know, look at us on our, on our website, upmcenterprises.com. Um, come visit us in Pittsburgh, we're, we're happy to host you here. We're, we're, we're an open book in terms of how, we, how we're pushing the, um, the needle forward in terms of um, innovations. But there is no one size fits all approach to innovation. Our approach to innovation may not work in your specific reality, in your organization, in your institution, in your hospital, in, in, in the facility that you belong to. But there are some best practices. There are some specific things that should be done. And there are many other things that perhaps shouldn't be done that, um, that we know have worked um, in, in our pursuit of innovation. So the, the second part of uh, the question there was really around um, you know, this, this challenge of it actually costs money to perhaps innovate. Um, and, and you're so busy doing the things that you're doing that you don't perhaps have the time to devote resources to something that might have outcomes that uh, will be seen only down the road. Uh, so my take on that, and this is our take at UPMC really, is because you're busy, because of the ambitions that you have around growth and the aspirations that you have around improving care and, and really challenging the status quo, because of all of that, you cannot afford not to innovate. So you have to have buy-in, and, and that's one of the, the, the things that we've seen to be of tremendous benefit to us at UPMC. Buy-in from top down, right? So this, this starts really at the very top of your organization, at the board level, and it percolates downwards to the rest of the organization. A level of buy-in that this really is of, of strategic importance to you, your organization, that, that we're actually going to um, you know, invest significantly because we believe that this is how we're going to continue to differentiate ourselves from the rest of the competition that exists out there. So if you don't have that buy-in, and there are many other components to this, but if you don't have that level of buy-in, then it, it becomes all the more challenging. But, you know, what I'd say is, look, you don't have to boil the ocean day one. Uh, you know, you start by showing early success and build on those early successes, but also focus in on creating a culture of innovation. And, the, you know, and this is a topic that we could talk for a very long time, but it's important for us not just to innovate, quote unquote, innovate for the sake of innovation, but really for us to use this as an opportunity to create um, mind shift to uh, engage end users and show them the benefits of, uh, of of really you know embracing innovation in a way that would help them do the things that they feel most passionate about. 
Okay, we're, we're almost out of time, but you're involved in a couple of very interesting projects, and, and I think we, we really do need to talk about them at least briefly. Number one is you have uh, been asked to lead the uh, VA, the Veteran Administration's Open API Pledge. And so please tell us about that. Yeah, uh, really exciting, Michael. Um, you know, the VA is about to pull a trigger on um, what would perhaps be the most significant, uh, and by significant, I mean not just in terms of monetary value, upwards of, um, you know, several billion, um, but also significant in terms of the impact that it'll have on the veterans and their families, and quite honestly, uh, the industry as a whole. So they're about to pull a trigger on an electronic health record modernization um, mandate that's in front of them. And uh, what's happening right now is they're academic organization, uh, healthcare organizations, uh, you know, so UPMC, we're, we're all in on this, and we have the likes of Partners and Mayo and Rush and um, and Intermountain and many others that have really come together as the original um, uh, signatories around this Open API pledge. And my role really is um, to work with my colleagues across the industry to really uh, pull them together to get them excited around this imperative that we have in front of us, which is as the VA contemplates the specifics of uh, rolling out you know, a large commercial solution and making sure that we're able to continue to innovate um, for the sake of our veterans and their families, how do we use this as a, a, a night, as an inflection point to not just better the, the, the quality of the applications, the workflows, and, and the solutions that we'll be implementing at the VA, but really use this as an opportunity to perhaps get interoperability right once and for all for the entirety of industry, for the entire industry. So the opportunity at hand is tremendous. And what I'm seeing is a level of leaning in, not just from the, um, the original dozen or so signatories, but now, you know, more than a hundred others that have really pledged. And if you go to the Open API pledge uh, website uh, on va.gov, uh, you'll have an opportunity to get more information on this and to actually join us uh, in, this, uh, in this pursuit. You'll see that there's a level of leaning in, Michael, that I've just not seen in the industry before. You've got you know, large organizations that are committing to this. You have vendors, um, small, medium, and large entrepreneurs, systems integrators, organizations like HIMS that are pledging and saying, we're behind this 100%. Let's do this. So really excited about this. And, uh, I, and I'm, I'm looking forward to making this, um, you know, really sticky for the industry as a whole. You know, we're almost out of time, but uh, uh, maybe we c you can come back and we can do an entire show on this set of issues you were just talking about. Uh, before we go, we you, please tell us also about the Health Data Palooza. And if I, I'm looking at their website and I see other names of amazing CXO Talk guests like uh, Michelle Dennity, who is the Chief Privacy Officer at Cisco, and Melind Cam Kolkar, who's extraordinary from, uh, from Sanofi Pharmaceutical. And so please tell us about the 2018 Health Data Palooza. 
So um, really excited about this. I'm uh, privileged to be a co-chair of Health Data Palooza along with uh, Kelsey Millard, who is uh, my fellow co-chair as well. Uh, so the Health Data Palooza is going to be happening uh, in just a couple of days, April 26th and 27th in D.C., a perfect intersection of public and private and policy really coming together, talking about all of the things that we just talked about here on the show, the imperative to capitalize on health data, but really move the needle in healthcare. And, and it can't happen. Like, that cannot just happen when you're in your own private bubble, right? Whether you're, you're in your organization uh, onto yourself or you're in a different conference where you just have you know, all of the vendors on the public side coming together or the private side coming together. It has to be where all of these entities are coming together and having open discussions about best practices, what's worked, what's not worked, but also how do we scale this? How do we take it to another level? So this year, especially excited about um, the level of leaning in that we're seeing from the patient population. So a lot of patient engagement, and, and this is a patients included conference, but also um, you know, the, the who's who uh, in terms of affecting change uh, across the industry. So from the, from the private sector, you've got, um, you know, key speakers coming in from Twitter and from Amazon uh, and, and many other uh, organizations that are really affecting change. You've got other speakers and, and remarkable leaders coming in from payer and provider organization, from the startup community, but also from, uh, from the government, from the FDA, from CMS, from uh, the Health and Human Services. All of these remarkable leaders really coming together and talking about how we collectively lift the boat together. So really excited about Health Data Palooza. Um, hashtag HDPalooza for those of you online. Follow along, but I hope to see all of you in Washington, D.C. for this really important conference. Okay. Wow. What a very, very fast 45, 50 minutes this has been. Dr. Rashu Sharesta from the University of Pittsburgh Medical Center. I can't thank you enough for taking your time to be here with us today. Thank you, Michael. A pleasure. Everybody, you have been watching episode number 285 of CXO Talk. Now is the time. Tell your friend to watch. The replay is up. And be sure to subscribe on YouTube. Thanks, everybody. Go to cxotalk.com. We have many more shows coming up. And uh, thank you to Dr. Rasu Sharesta. Have a great day, everybody. Bye-bye.